0: Good morning, Crossview Rosa Parks. My name is Brian Asker. I am one of the pastors here, and I am so glad that you are worshiping with us today. Now, hopefully, Lord willing, my family is today up on a remote lake in northern Minnesota enjoying the wonder of God's creation. And we had a guest preacher lined up to be here today, but unfortunately, uh, things uh, turned south for them and their health and they are unable to be with us today, but fortunately, we do have modern technology, and I can be with you here today via video, and I'm glad for that. I'm going to be talking about favoritism today, and the world shows favoritism in a lot of different ways. It encourages favoritism. Think about this phrase. It's not what you know. It's It's who you know. Even our systems and the things that we have in place to help people can bend towards favoritism. I think about a personal story a number of years ago that I experienced. As we were going through the adoption process, my wife and I had to fill out a form telling the agency what kind of child we were willing to take into our home, into our family. The form was six pages of every known disease and disability that a child might have, and I will tell you that filling out that form was excruciatingly painful. I kept thinking and talking with Sandy about the fact that every one of those diseases represented a child, a child that as a Christian, I believe, was created in the image of God, and yet Here I was saying, I don't know if I'm willing to take that set of problems or that child into my home. Take those problems on as my own. And I realized that I was showing favoritism, partiality, and I think that the reality is that all of us from time to time struggle with the problem of favoritism. And our world does not help us out. But God, if we contrast that with God, in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, it says that God does not show favoritism. And in today's passage, we're going to be talking about how James invites us, or God invites us, to similarly not show favoritism. We're going to be in the book of James, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. I invite you to open your Bible or grab your mobile device and open it up to James, chapter 2, and follow along. We're not going to have the passage on the screen today, so if you want to read along with me, you'll have to have it with you. So this is part of our our series on the book of James or the letter of James. This is uh, a letter that talks a lot about faith and about action. And that's what we've been talking about over the last couple weeks. It's written to people who are believers, people who would say, I follow Jesus. And it's not a linear letter uh, with one main point. It's actually a bunch of different teachings that instruct believers on how they are to live. So with that in mind, let's jump in uh, to James chapter 2. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. James doesn't beat around the bush here. He identifies himself as a fellow follower of Jesus Christ, and he exhorts them to, to follow Jesus in his example to not show favoritism. And there are no exceptions to this. Simple, right? I mean, in some ways, I could send you home right now and say, Hey, It's going to take the rest of your life to try to get this down, but let's do it. James is going to develop his argument uh, a little bit more and kind of give them some of the why behind that. So let's follow along. He starts with an example. In verse 2 it says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothing. In other words, he's wealthy. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say here's a good seat for you but say the poor man you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet well commentators suggest that this probably isn't just a worship meeting this is probably a courtroom scene and biblical law most jewish law and even greek philosophers agreed that favoritism was not right. They rejected it. Jewish law went so far as to demand that both people coming to a trial would stand or sit at the same level. One could not stand while the other sat, and vice versa. Jewish law also demanded that both men wear the same clothes. So a rich man was responsible to buy clothes that would look like his own for the poor man, or, in contrast, he could also choose to dress down like the poor man. So readers who are listening to this would have agreed what was happening was clearly not fair. And verse 4 levels an accusation against these readers. It says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So this is the first problem that we discover with favoritism. We make ourselves the judge, and in so doing, we make ourselves evil. James continues on in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? With this sentence, James is actually quoting a somewhat famous Jewish tradition uh, that says that God favors the the poor because they had to depend on God for their life. But Jesus also echoed these same sentiments in his Sermon on the Mount. And uh, a couple years ago, we went through the Sermon on the Mount and talked about how when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, it wasn't just a spiritual thing, it was very much a real economic issue that he was talking about and i imagine if the readers of james or the listeners of james the letter of james at this point in time are sitting here they're nodding their heads going yes i agree with you james that is true but james goes on to say you have dishonored dishonored the poor again another accusation is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, Roman law, in contrast to Jewish law, explicitly favored the rich. In fact, poorer people could not even bring an accusation against a rich person, and often there were harsher penalties for those who were poor. And clearly Christians were experiencing some level of this injustice in their lives. Rich people were dragging Christians into court, and they were slandering the name of Jesus. And James was saying, you're doing the same exact thing in your community. So I thought about that. I thought, how do we do that today as Christians? Do we still do that today? I thought about how our world values celebrities, and their charisma, and their gifts, their giftedness. And we tend to do the same thing in Christian circles. We platform, we listen to these gifted communicators, people who can orate well, who have a lot of charisma, and yet some of those people have known character flaws. I can think about people like Bill Hybels or Mark Driscoll and others. They were, at different times in their lives, shown to have been abusing people, and yet people overlooked it because their ministries were growing. And I'm not here to cancel the good work that they did. God works through broken people. Praise God, I am being one of them, I hope. Um, But I think there's something in our celebrity culture that allows people with giftedness, with charisma, to continue even when character flaws have been pointed out. And I wonder why don't we listen more to the person or the people in our lives that we connect with locally that smell and look like Jesus? And what would happen if we did listen to those people more than we listened to the great orators of our time? I think it's also true that we like the people that James was talking to, still value the rich and the wealthy above the poor. I can think about how church leadership teams are often favoring those with means over those who do not have means. And I think the reality is that we today tend to show favoritism to those who can benefit us rather than the needy, the poor, or those uh, we neglect those who are needy. James goes on to say if you really keep the royal law found in scripture that says love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And I think what we see here is that love is the opposite of favoritism. It just so happens that love is at the heart of King Jesus' message and his law for us. and This is so great. Because James is showing us that this royal idea it's indicating this kingdom language. And he's showing the readers that what he believes is that Jesus is king. Jesus is the supreme leader of their lives. And that Jesus, as he interprets the Old Testament law, believes that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself sums up or interprets that Old Testament law. And if you're doing that, If you are loving God, if you are loving your neighbor as yourself, then he says, you're doing right. You're doing well. But, he says in verse 9, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James calls favoritism what it is, sin. It's a deviation from God's intention for our lives and for the lives of others around us. And if anyone has a sense of, really, is it really that big of a deal, James goes on to say in verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, favoritism, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a law-breaker. In other words, you can't just avoid the seven deadly sins, or you can't just do the Ten Commandments, or you can't just live up to whatever list of do's and don'ts that you find or that you may have found. Favoritism is a big deal. And in fact, many commentators said that if we are living into favoritism, we're actually killing somebody. So what do we do about that? Well, verse 12 says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy is triumphs over judgment. So how we speak and how we act matters. It makes a difference. James gives us two things that I think can help us as we think about how we can better love our neighbors and stop stop showing favoritism. It's this. God's judgment and God's mercy. How interesting. We hold them in tension. God's judgment gives us freedom because it's based on the perfect law, as James talks about, and we talked about that last week. In the same way that traffic laws give us freedom to move about the country and to move about as we need, unlike the chaotic world, uh, maybe war-torn country that I talked about last week that a friend went to that created chaos. God's laws, similarly, are meant for human flourishing, as we live into God's laws, as I love God, as I love my neighbor, not only do I flourish, but my neighbor flourishes. And some of us need to think more about God's judgment. Maybe you need a sticker, uh, like my daughter got uh, from her teacher, that has Jesus leaning around the corner saying, I saw that. And I think in some ways, that can be really good for some of us. We need the reminder that Jesus is watching us. That there's no aspect of our lives that goes, uh, that is exempt from, judge- from God's judgment. And it can serve as a reminder that we want to follow God's law. And not only do we want to follow, but we flourish when we follow it. And when others follow it as well. And we can remember that favoritism does not promote flourishing, but loving your neighbor does. So some of us need to remember that. The second thing that we hold in tension from God's judgment is God's mercy. Now God's mercy is, uh, mercy is pretty simple. It's not getting what you deserve. If you think about it, according to the law, if you are speeding, You deserve a ticket. But if the officer pulls you over and lets you off with a warning, that's mercy. And God's mercy is the alternative or the other thing that we are given. And the reality is that none of us have kept God's law perfectly. We have, we're all prone to favoritism and we've all fallen short and at times failed to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. But it's interesting here in James that James essentially says that people who don't get mercy are the only the people who won't get mercy are the people who don't give mercy. They've in essence made themselves judges. They've taken God's place as judge. And Favoritism is, in essence, judging another person. And James calls it evil. He calls it a sin. But the good news is that mercy triumphs over judgment. And Lamentation confirms this. It says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great. Great is your faithfulness. That's the good news, that even though sometimes we show favoritism, God does not. God loves. God's mercies are new every morning, and don't we need that? So what do we do with the reality that sometimes we do show favoritism? Sometimes we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. I think there's a couple things. I think one, we can remember that we are not the judge. We can hold God's judgment in tension with God's mercy. And so I want to encourage you this week to to remember that God is watching you and to think about what that means. Not because God finds joy in smiting people or finds joy in seeing us stumble. Not at all. God loves us. God wants to see us flourish. And obeying God's laws leads to her human flourishing. Loving our neighbor as ourself, loving God, is one of the greatest commandments because it leads to human flourishing. And because God is watching, we can remind ourselves to speak and act as God would speak and act to us in ways that love our neighbor, in ways that love one another. And so you might think about this week, what's one way that I could love my neighbor this week? A friend, a person nearby, maybe a co-worker. What's one thing that I could do to love them this week? And then the second thing I was thinking about is really this. Watching for ways that you show favoritism. I think all of us can get into this at time. We can think about who gets our stamp of approval and who doesn't get our stamp of approval. We can think about Who do we spend more time with? And who do we tend to ignore? And then we can practice God's mercy. We can confess that we are showing favoritism. And we can ask God for forgiveness. And we can work towards loving our neighbor and caring for them and thinking about what is it about that that person, what is it about me that I am showing favoritism, that I'm struggling to show favoritism? I ran across a story a couple of weeks ago that I think can help us think about how we can love others. It was about a 12 year old kid in Colorado. He came home with his yearbook, really uh, only signed by a couple people, despite asking numerous other people to sign his yearbook. He decided to sign his own yearbook, saying, I hope that you can make more friends next year. His mom was crushed. So she put it out on social media and it kind of went viral. And a guy named Paul Rudd, the actor that plays Ant-Man, decided to call this little boy. This 12-year-old boy. And then after the conversation, he sent him a note that said, there are so many people that love you and think you're the coolest kid there is me being one of them and along with that note came a signed ant man helmet that said to my good friend brody for when he takes on the world other students picked up on this as well from his school older students they came and visited him in his class and they posed for pictures with him saying i'm friends with brody I was talking to somebody this week um, who said so often um, I felt like the church has excluded people, including me. And I wondered what would happen if we were a little bit more like Paul Rudd, Ant-Man. What would our church look like? What would that communicate to our community? How much more would they know about God's love for them? Because We love them and we didn't show favoritism. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you do not show favoritism. You created each one of us in your image and you love us. You care about us. You want to see the best for us. So Lord, as you're watching over us this week, help us to remember that. Help us to be reminded Use the Holy Spirit. Speak through your Holy Spirit to us to remind us when we are prone to wandering and showing favoritism and not loving our neighbor. Help us to be proactive in our love of our neighbor this week. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Friends, if you have kids in kids ministry, you can head over and get them, and we will continue on in worship.